Before I begin to, to speak this evening, I want to, I want to thank you, uh, because I, I know I've had a chance to talk to some of you over the last couple of weeks, and one or two of you have encouraged me since um, I spoke the first time in this series uh, about enjoying God's Word, enjoying the Bible. Um, I went home actually not very encouraged that evening. Um, that happens from time to time. Claire asked me, well, how did church go? And I said, oh, you know, it was okay, except for me. You know, I, I just didn't think that um, I really got that series off to a good start or, or really had encouraged you. But since speaking with one or two of you uh, over the last couple of weeks, I've realized that, that despite that, despite um, my sense that I hadn't really delivered anything very uh, interesting or inspiring. You were encouraged, and I, I see the grace of God in that. I see that, that maybe we're on to something here uh, when we're thinking about enjoying God's Word together, that even though I, I didn't feel it was particularly inspiring or brilliant, the topic is something that interests us. We're men and women of, of God. We, we know that, that we want to connect with God in his word. But somewhere along the line, a lot of us struggle with that. So I took a lot of comfort from, from the responses I heard from you. That, that yes, we are interested in this. Uh, we are keen to learn together how to enjoy God's word more. So, so let's go again, round two, and see what God will, will teach us this evening. As I prepared uh, this series, I had a, a little resource lying on the table, not so much a book as just a, a little pamphlet from the Good Book Company, and it's called Open Up the Bible. The resource begins with a, a section entitled, One Big Reason Why We Should Read the Bible and Five Reasons Why We Don't. I'm going to spend my time this evening trying to, to give you the one big reason uh, why we should read the Bible. But before we come to that, let me share the, the five reasons why we don't, just to, to, to bring an honesty to all of this and an integrity to our, our thinking this evening. Five reasons why we don't read the Bible suggested in this little resource. I don't have the time. Life's increasingly hectic. People are finding, particularly if they carry the responsibilities of of pressured jobs and, and maybe family life as well. A second reason, the Bible's hard to understand. Many people struggle with what's going on in certain parts of the Bible. By the way, if, if ever anybody stands at the front like this and tells you that that's not true, reach for a pinch of salt and, and take it. There are some parts of the Bible that certainly by my estimation are are demanding uh, and that certainly at first glance aren't that easy to understand. Don't misunderstand. I, I think the, the key aspects of God's word and the whole of it are, are open to us, but it's not all immediately easily accessible. It's not important is a reason given in this little uh, leaflet. Now that's not an idea that I would have ever heard articulated anywhere but I wonder is that notion beginning to creep in to our churches is it possible that the bible which once 
held pride of place at the center of the community is becoming a little bit less foundational. It's just not quite so important. It's not quite so foundational. It's just gently going off to the side and other things uh, replacing it in our churches. A fourth reason why we don't read the Bible, it's legalistic. Maybe you grew up in a church where the idea of, of having a daily quiet time or a daily Bible reading was talked about in such a way that it felt like just another box to tick, another rule to keep. And actually you've come to the point in your life where you don't want to live that way anymore. Where ticking boxes and keeping rules isn't something you want to do. Bible reading feels legalistic. And a fifth reason that they give here is that it's scary. Uh, there are lots of different reasons why that reading the Bible might be scary. It might not seem very cool by other people's standards. Being committed to something might not fit in with our, our freewheeling lifestyle. Or maybe we're just nervous of what might happen if we did. What God might say to us and how he might challenge us. I don't know what you make of that list. As I say, it's not my list. It's one that, that I found in this little resource. Maybe you identify with one of those reasons, or two of them, or five of them. Maybe you have all sorts of reasons uh, why you, you find it difficult to read God's word. Folks, it seems to me that those, those reasons and others to replace them will always exist. I don't think we'll ever enter into an era where we, where we don't have what seem like valid reasons not to give ourselves wholeheartedly to reading God's word. If we're going to do the thing that we, we hope to learn to do a little more in this series, enjoy the Bible, then we're going to need to find a good reason why we should read it. We're going to need to find a motive for Bible reading that will blow all of our excuses out of the water. We're going to need to find a reason why, why we become committed and say, this is what I will do despite all those reasons that, that there might be for not reading. The one reason I'd offer you for reading your Bible is that it's the place where you meet with God. That's it. The Bible is the place where we meet with God. You see, being a, bio, being a Christian isn't a skill for us to learn, like carpentry or flower arranging. It's not a lifestyle choice, like the, the clothes that we wear or the, the people we choose to hang out with. Christianity is a relationship. It's, it's a, a walk with the living and true God. It's a bit like a marriage. A couple of weeks ago when we started our series, I, I suggested a couple of, of wrong but per, very pervasive reasons uh, why we come to the Bible. They're certainly, they just ticked my boxes. They're the reasons I grew up with of why we come to the Bible. One is looking for information, more knowledge about God, good theology. Can you imagine a marriage where the communication was only on the level of information? Do you have so-and-so's phone number? Where did you leave such and such? What time should I collect the kids? 
Now, those things are important, and a marriage would require those for, for things to run. But a marriage that operates only at that level would be a pretty hollow affair. Many people come to the Bible for a second reason. It's only when they need guidance in a moment of crisis. Can you imagine a marriage where the partners ignored each other except when they needed to talk about a major decision? Should I take the new job? Should the kids go to this or that school? Again, those are important decisions. I hope that a husband and wife would talk about them. But what if a couple chose to live in such a way that they ignored each other except for those times of decision and crisis? A couple like that could go for months, maybe years, without seriously engaging each other. Again, it's not a good basis for a marriage or any relationship. So we don't come to the Bible looking for information about God or or answers for our, our need for guidance, on the other hand. We come to the Bible to meet with God. That's the place where he shares himself with us. Keep the the marriage analogy in your head for just a moment. I'm sure we've all met people in marriages where, truth be told, the love is gone. The couple still share the same name. They still live at the same address and they go through all the motions of being married. But there's no relationship. No communication. If we choose to ignore what God says to us and when he speaks to us in his word, then in effect we're choosing that loveless, communicationless marriage. It exists in name, but not in reality. And it's not a living relationship. Wouldn't it be weird if I said to Claire, um, Claire, I love you. I really, really do. You're the love of my life. But here's the thing. I'm only going to listen to you for half an hour on a Sunday and every other week on a Wednesday night. In between times, I'm sorry, I'm just not interested. That's all I can manage. Put yourself in Claire's shoes. Would you have any confidence at all that I took her marriage seriously and that being with her was in any way important to me. We need to learn to prioritize time with God in his word. The best reason I can give you to to meet with God in the Bible is that this is the place where God meets with us. We're going to spend a bit of time just now working on that together and we're going to get much more interactive here. It's ironic that we would call a a series Enjoying the Bible if we didn't get to to use and and read our Bibles a a little bit as we go. So I'm going to lead you now on a bit of a guided tour of a wonderful biblical theme. I'm going to invite you to look up a number of passages with me. So grab a, a Bible, have it ready to go. By the way, even if you're somebody who doesn't normally do that, I would advise you to do it in this case because... You're going to feel a bit left out for the next sort of eight or nine minutes if you don't join in with this. So so please do. 
The theme that we're going to see here is that God loves to be with his people. A question I sometimes like to ask people is, tell me what the Bible's about, and you've got one sentence to do it. What is this book about? And there are different ways in which we could say that, and many ways of putting a right answer, but that's not a bad answer. God loves to be with his people. Let's get into this and see how it it gathers momentum through the pages of Scripture. We read early in Genesis that God created Adam and Eve and then that he walked with them in the garden. God loved to be with Adam and Eve. A guy called Enoch, one of their sons, we learn that he walked with God. Noah, we're told in Genesis chapter 6, he walked with God. In Genesis 17, we read of God speaking with Abraham. And then, perhaps surprisingly, the narrative tells us that Ishmael, Abraham's son through the slave Hagar, we read this about him. God was with the boy as he grew up. Now I'm going to ask you to start to get involved in this. Turn with me, Genesis 26 on page 27, if you're in the Pew Bible there. It's a chapter that tells us about Isaac Abram's son Isaac, he's searching for a new home, somewhere to to put down roots, and he arrives in a place called Beersheba. Look at verse 24, right at the bottom of the page. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I'm the God of your father Abraham. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you. So God comes to Isaac and he says to him, Isaac, I am with you. Flick over to Genesis 28 on page 30. This time it's the turn of Isaac's son Jacob. He's on the run from his brother Esau who's trying to to kill him. He's at Bethel sleeping with his head in a rock. He has a, a dream in which God appears to him. And look now at verse 15. To this young man running in fear of his life. God promises him, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. God speaks to Jacob and he says, I'm with you. Read the account of Jacob's life sometime and stick a felt pen under every time that God appears to him and says, I'm with you. It's astonishing. God was with his son, uh, Jacob's son, Joseph as well. Turn with me now to Genesis 39, page 43. Now this is, this is incredible because it comes at a, at a moment when you would say with your hand on your heart, well, God clearly isn't with Joseph. He's been sold into slavery in Egypt. He, he's ended up working in, in the household of a guy called Potiphar. Look at verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. But things, instead of getting better for Joseph, they get even worse. He ends up in prison. And look down to verse 20. While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with Joseph. We're told in verse 23, the warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. Why? Because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. 
You're beginning to see this, folks? This never-failing presence of God with his people. Time and time again, he comes to this person or that person and he says, I am with you. We've seen that theme develop there just briefly through the the book of Genesis. Now we're going to accelerate a wee bit and follow the thread right through the Bible. Turn to to Joshua chapter 3 verse 7, page 218. Joshua 3 verse 7 on page 218. Sorry, chapter 3, verse 7. Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, God says to Joshua, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. God was with Moses and now he's with his successor, Joshua. God was with David. Turn with me to 1 Chronicles 17, verse 2, page 472. Page 400, sorry, 421. I don't know where I got that from. Page 421, 1 Chronicles 17, verse 2. Here we have Nathan the prophet. He's coming to David just at the moment when David is made king for the first time. And this word from God comes to David. Whatever you have in mind, do it. For God is with you. I don't know if you know much about the, the prophets, the Old Testament prophets. Mostly they had a pretty tough job. They had to come to God's people and quite often tell them some, some hard things, uh, give them some bad news about God's judgment coming on them. But time and time again in the midst of that, they talked about God's presence with his people. I'm going to choose a, a pretty obscure one to show you. Turn with me to Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. You won't need a page reference for that because you all know where Zephaniah is. Um, you, you read it regularly. Page 947, if you need it. Page 947. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. This guy is bringing news of God's judgment. It's not a, a good news story on the whole. But he's also pointing these people to new hope. And he says in verse 17 of chapter 3, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He'll take great delight in you. He'll quiet you with his love. He'll rejoice over you with singing. Folks, right through these hundreds of years, to countless different people, God, God comes and he reveals himself and he says to them, I am with you. We'll pick up just a, two or three New Testament references. This thread runs right through the New Testament. Of course, God's people were never more aware that God was with them than when Jesus came among them. Turn with me to the Great Commission. Matthew 28, page 1001. Right in the last verse of Matthew's gospel, Jesus speaks the words that must have just stuck in the mind of his disciples. 
For the rest of their lives, they heard these words and they turned them over in their minds. Their their Lord and their Savior, their friend, he said, and surely I am with you. Always. To the very end of the age. Jesus tells his disciples, I'm with you and I will be. Forever. It's never going to change. It's never going to end. I am with you. The Apostle Paul, he experienced the fulfillment of Jesus' promise. Turn with me to Acts chapter 18, page 1114. I remember seeing this passage a few months ago when we were preaching this part of Acts. And it really struck me. Paul's in Corinth. He's under an awful lot of pressure from Jews on the one hand, Roman authorities on the other. But look at verses 9 to 10. We read that God appeared to Paul one night and spoke to him saying, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you. No one's going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. God assures Paul that he is with him. Folks, turn with me to Revelation 21 and here we come to the end of our tour. The passage we read at the start of our service or or partly into our service I should say. Revelation 21, the first four verses. We have a wonderful picture here of a a new heaven and a new earth. And John the Revelator tells us of a voice that he hears speaking from heaven. Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Folks, do you think the writer wants us to understand that God is with us? Three times in the one verse. And this is it. This is the climax of God's story. This is the whole purpose of human history and the whole purpose of God's dealing with us. It's that he might be with us and that we might be with him. Folks, we don't know what any story means until we see how it ends. Do you ever do that with a novel? Check the ending? I don't. There's something about me that I'm a, I have to, I'm too linear. I have to read from start through to the end. But some people I know will flick to the end to see, this is how the story ends. We need to understand this to understand the whole story. It's about God Drawing us to him. Making us his. God with his people. I've read a number of books to help me prepare for this series on enjoying the Bible. And one of them is Life with God by Richard Foster. He says that the Bible's message, this message we've seen here this evening, that God is with us. In the end it needs to come to us as an invitation. 
He says the divine assurance thundering through the ages is also a divine invitation. I am with you. Will you be with me? This dynamic is the absolute unifying center of the Bible. Every story in the Bible, no matter what its twists and turns, whether the human characters are trustworthy or untrustworthy, whether the story is happy or sad, is built on the clarion call to relationship. I am with you. Will you be with me? Friends, I think Foster's right. I think the Bible is one long story of God's God's willingness to come and to be with his people. And it's one clear invitation to us. Will we come and be with God? Let me close by telling the story of Jerome. Jerome was born in central Italy in 342 AD. He was destined to become a renowned scholar, specializing in the works of of Cicero. But something happened to, to Jerome that changed his life. One night as he slept, he dreamt that he had died and gone to the gates of heaven. Who are you? demanded the gatekeeper. Christianus sum, replied Jerome. Uh, You can tell there that I have a lot of Latin, just naturally tripping off the tongue. Yeah, sure. Christianus sum, says Jerome, I am a Christian. No, you're not, said the gateman. Ciceronianus sum, Non-Christianus. You're a Ciceronian. Not a Christian. You see, said the gatekeeper, here we judge people by what they're most committed to during their life on earth. You've devoted your whole life to the classics, particularly to the works of Cicero. You've neglected the things of God and God's word. So we judge that you're not a Christian, but a Ciceronian. Sorry. Jerome awoke in a sweat and he made up his mind there and then, I will be a Christian. I will devote myself to meeting with God in his word, the Bible. And if you know your early church history, you'll know that Jerome went on to become one of the great scholars of the church He gave us the Latin Vulgate, the the version of the Bible used for the next 1,000 years. What is it that we're most devoted to? What is it that we give our time and our energy to? Is it, we, is it making sure that we keep abreast of the developments in our favorite of the latest soaps? 
Is it making sure that we don't ever miss a match in the English Premiership? What is it that we're most devoted to? Folks, there's only one reason in the end that will keep us coming back to God's word and loving God in the Bible. And it's, it's the love of God himself. It's knowing that we'll meet him there. It, it's a burning passion and a burning desire to meet with God there. You see, in God's word, he comes to us and he whispers to us over and over again. I am with you. Will you be with me? How will we respond? Let us pray. Father God, when we think of your word and when we consider what it would mean for us to, to regularly read the Bible, Lord, often it brings a, a, a drudging response, a sense of heavy-hearted obedience. Lord, we think that this is a, a legalistic commitment or, or something very demanding that we would enter into. Lord, we thank you that in the end, your word is a love letter, a place where you meet with us and you tell us that you love us and that you want to be with us. Lord, help us to see that. Help us to put aside the, the lies that have kept us from your word this last week or month or year. Lord, help us to see that you long to be with us and that your word is a place where you will come and meet with us. Lord, we pray that we would accept your invitation, that we would come and meet with you in your word, that we would be lovers with you, giving you our time and our attention and our affection. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.